Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the belonging one, of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. I'm a fan of the word belonging. It feels more friendly than inclusion and is an active word, all about feeling welcomed. So we're really happy to welcome two amazing guests to talk through this intriguing topic. This week our guests are Laura Casal and Karen Eldad. Laura is a highly experienced consultant, program manager, coach and leader. She has had a long career in HR, primarily in learning and leadership development in both the tech and financial service industries. Laura is also the founder of the Women in Transitions Group. Here she collaborates with other coaches to provide coaching, education and events that empower women through professional career transitions. Karen is an executive coach and trainer working with media personalities, founders, teams and executives at organisations such as Nike, Estee Lauder, Salesforce, Twitter and more. Her mission is to advance teachings that help people cultivate personal agency, a positive self-image and a strong sense of purpose so they can thrive as individuals and in teams. This episode was recorded in March 2023 and Karen's dogs wanted to be involved. You'll hear them a little, but they are also relevant to the conversation. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Laura and Karen talking about belonging. Hey Karen, good to see you today. Good to be with you today. Hi, Laura. Nice to meet you. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm calling in from the States in the New York area, New York metro area. Where are you? I was in the New York metro area, but during COVID, we moved down to Austin, Texas. And we are still here. <laughs> we're from two great cities. I found a place where I belong. And you know, it's so funny. Uh, we we're talking about belonging today. And the first thing that came to mind was when I moved to Austin. It's a, it's a city full of, of very unusual people, I would say. And I really feel at home. What, why? Like what especially makes you feel at home? I'm originally from Tel Aviv, Israel. And Austin is extremely similar to Tel Aviv in a couple of ways. The first is the weather. It's almost always warm here. The second is the casualness. <clears throat> no one, and I mean no one, wears any high heels ever anywhere. If they are, they're from Dallas. And hierarchically, the society or the societal structure here is simply not as rigid as that of New York City. So I lived on the Upper East Side on 75th and Central Park. So <clears throat> I, I think the, the zeitgeist of the city is probably condensed in that area. And it's definitely a more hierarchical society than the one that you find here. Everyone's doing something very interesting, but they're also doing something cool. They're, they're a little more purpose-driven, I think, than anywhere else on the planet. It was, it was lovely to, to find myself here. What an interesting dynamic, right, from the two cities. And I, and I can't help but hear how that plays out in, at work, in companies too, right? Like when you feel like you're, the Upper East Side is you know very hierarchical, very much show, right? Like, you know, what it, it's a, it matters what you're wearing. It matters where you're going, right? To society yes. where the comparison of Austin is like, just be who you are comfortable in whatever, Absolutely. whoever you are. Right. It really is. It's a very interesting thing. Actually, it's, I hadn't drawn that parallel to company culture yet. Um, I'd like to apologize right off the bat. My voice is still coming back. I spent all week last week with the senior leadership team at Nike in Portland, Oregon. <clears throat> and 
They drew all the voice out of my body. But we did spend an enormous amount of time talking about belonging, talking about culture, talking about finding our way there, you know? And I think Austin would have been a great parallel. I'll use that next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see it. I, I I work with clients too, and I hear this often, but I'm on the other side of it. So not with the corporate folks, but with the employees. And the employees are telling me that they're really wanting to feel like they belong or feel connected to the organization and they're struggling with it. That's amazing. I'd love to hear more about you and what you do and who you work with and how you do it and so that we can really give some context to the belonging talk. Sure. So I'm working with women who are going through some type of career transition. And the reason I chose women is because I am a woman, um, but also I see that they need the most support in the organization, especially after the pandemic, right? We lost a lot of traction with women in the workplace. Yes. And so just helping them through their career changes, whether they want to stay in a company, leave a company, or totally flip their career in a different way, but don't feel supported, don't feel like they belong, are afraid to make a move. Um, so I coach them and work with them and I do a lot of offerings for that. Um, so I'm working with the, like the individuals where it's interesting. You're working with the corporations. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I work with both genders as well. So, uh, because my philosophy is, especially since I coach senior leaders and I know that this is a tragic truth, but it is a truth. Most of them are men period, the end. And while I'd love to level the playing field, working with them to open their perspective and to hopefully help uh, instate ways of thinking that are organizationally trickling down to promote women is probably the ulterior motive, if you will. And I'm not particularly quiet about it. So <laughs> I've been a feminist all my life. Now, having said that, you're right. I do work primarily in group dynamics <clears throat> and group dynamics are different. Um, in those dynamics, the promotion of inclusivity and of a multidisciplinary approach and of an intersectional approach is something that can come across in a big swath rather than one-on-one. -on -one. And that's sort of been my approach, with, especially with working with the LND teams. The LND team at Nike has both men and women. The LND team at Luxottica, for example, is very women-heavy. And so... The, the experience I've had varies enormously, but the teams are usually fairly well-balanced until you reach senior leadership, uh, and then they're not as balanced as we'd like them to be. <laughs> yes, I definitely see that, um, but I there are people that want to be there, men or women. They want to be in those positions. They feel like they have what it takes to be a leader. They want to succeed. They just don't know how to get there or they don't feel supported. How do you find in the career pivot that this starts to fit in? Because I think the career pivot is probably one of the best opportunities ever to talk about belonging and to think about belonging. Well, it's it, it falls under engagement, I see a lot of times. So the person, the individual employee uh, does not feel engaged either on a project they don't feel engaged from their manager, management team, team members. They're kind of lost. They may reach out to HR. They may reach out to learning and development to see what can they do, but they don't get a lot of 
response or they get lost. There's some companies have so many resources for them to take advantage of, but they can't find them. There's just too many. They're put on multiple websites. They're the same thing four or five different times. They can't find what they're looking for. They get confused. And so they're not engaged. They just, they're lost. Exactly. My experience with the, the teams at organizations like this, it's not that they don't have the resources. They have enormous resources. They have plenty of resources. They don't quite know where to go. And they also aren't really guided towards anything other than swaths of engagement. So the way I deal, I, I, I deal with it in general, and I dealt with it last week because engagement was the observation or the topic of the day for the group at large, was to really focus all of my workshops and seminars on finding your why finding your personal why and finding your organizational why, even your departmental why. Exercises that allow us to understand why we do what we do, how it lights us up personally and brings out the best of us, really help us to feel like we belong where we are and or discern whether we're not. Exactly. Or make the connections, right? I think I do similar work in that, helping individuals find their purpose and organizations, or not organizations, but teams to find their purpose. Um, when you can connect those dots and you see the connection, that creates more engagement as well. And you do feel like, oh, yes, the thing that I'm called to do connects to what my team is called to do. It's a great match. I feel engaged. Yeah, it's a perfect thing. I never thought, I have to tell you, for years, I didn't think about the why having much to do with a sense of belonging. I associated belonging to the world of self-compassion and self-love. But really, self-compassion and self-love are fundamental for us to find a true why. Our true preferences will only become apparent to us when we start practicing compassion towards ourselves. So it almost bridges these concepts. The, the feeling of belonging to ourselves is imperative for the feeling or the ability to belong to and with others. It's, uh, it's been a really, really fantastic Right. And I have to say, once I started to really focus all of the work around the why, it's gone really, really well. Right. And, and uh, as, a, as you meet with executives, what do they say? Like, I hear a lot of times that from the employees, like my executives in the room, but he's not paying attention or he's constantly, you know, stepping out of the meeting to take another call They're, They don't feel that the leaders are paying attention. Do you, do you see that? Well, in my sessions, they're always uh, glued to it because it's kind of like a stand-up comedy routine. Um, and I, I think they don't want to miss parts of it. But uh, they definitely talk about it in one-on-one. -on -one. In one-on-one -on -one sessions that I do surrounding these larger sessions to sort of dig deeper and understand what's going on, many people express the feeling of not being heard. Not being heard properly, not being taken seriously, there's a lot of a misfiring. And in that sense, the, one of the solutions I found is to use behavior assessment uh, like DISC or like predictive index to help teams sort of gather or rally around a set of streaks. They are not the be all end all for me. I don't know how you feel about them, Laura. For me, it's about 30% of the picture at best, but it does allow people to have a few hooks 
of commonality around which they can rally and so that they can understand perhaps a little bit better how to come across to another person and how to uh, be seen and perceived more clearly by another person. And that's, that's helped to tone those gaps down <coughs> minimally. As for a lack of engagement, I also have to say that's, that's a wonderful thing to observe in a session. That's very, very interesting because you can see checked out behavior from the person who sits. If, if anybody does leave a session to take a call in the middle or is on their phone while they're on a call, they will uh, irritate those around them and send an inadvertent message. So I've taken to, I've, I saw Brene Brown doing this once in a session and say, you better shut that laptop or I'm going to leave. And I have taken the liberty of emulating her in my sessions and saying, you put away the buzzies and the ringy dingies or I'm gonna leave because it's a, it's a sign of disrespect to me, but it's also a sign of disrespect to everybody else. And that's also been uh, a bit of a helpful, let's, we're all in this together kind of message. Right, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was gonna go into that whole, like how do I self-advocate for, for me if I'm not being heard, right? like a lot of times people just will dismiss it. Like they're not feeling confident about stepping up and saying, Hey, wait a minute, I have a point here to make, or I have something to add to this conversation, but nobody's acknowledging it. Sometimes they are acknowledging it in their minds, but they're not sharing that in, in, a, in, in a communication, right? Yes, we've heard you. So just that little simple gesture really makes a difference. I, tend to coach people to stand up and let people know that they are feeling like they're not being heard, right? It's okay to say that. Pause, you know, can you just clarify for me? Because I don't know that you understand what I'm saying. It's okay to do that. And if you're not comfortable speaking about it, then there's ways to share it in an email, in a side conversation, just to make sure that you're getting heard. Right? That your ideas are getting heard. Absolutely, Laura. There are two levels of operation for any coach. The first is the intrinsic, trying to work with people internally so that they're in alignment within themselves and within the group. And those are more of the unspoken emotional conversations or dynamics between us. And the second is a tactical approach to teach them how to actually take the actions that they need to take in order for, both, for that chasm to be closed. So the first dimensions I work on are the creation, and this is the hardest one, as you know. This is going to be so easy said and so hard to, done, to be done, and that is the trust creation, the creation of trust between members of a team. And in a team dynamic, trust is not you're going to do what you say you're going to do. It's really uh, you have my back. And if I don't feel that you have my back, I will be much less likely to do the second thing, which is to learn how to speak up. To speak up is to understand that not every idea that I recommend, voice, or opine is a conflict starter. It's simply, I, it deserves to be heard, it's important, it's uh, part of the team, it's part of the group. And so both of these are the advocacy pieces uh, that I talk to you about, and they can be created through vulnerability, through owning up to our mistakes, through taking responsibility for things, through not over uh, criticizing around when a mistake does occur so that people do understand implicitly that we have their backs, etc. And that's how they learn how to speak up. And then the second piece is the tactical, right? Which is 
teaching people how to use cascading communication tools for meetings, meeting protocols, discussion protocols, conflict protocols, so that they know how to speak up to be heard. And, and all of those are available to anyone who's listening out there. You can train people to have, a, first, a better forum in which to have discussions, and second, to conduct a conversation that doesn't slaughter all sides. I see Andrew is asking a question. How do we know when people with us in work feel like they belong? Is it our job to help them feel they belong? What do you think, Laura? Yeah, that's a really great question. I was reading that from Andrew. <laughs> is it our job? Um, I, it's our job if leadership is willing to do it, right? The, it always starts from the top, right? So I know in companies that I've worked for or people that I'm coaching, I hear this, their organization is trying to foster a sense of belonging. They are creating communities. They are checking their data to see are people engaged, right? They may be doing some uh, surveys. Definitely companies do engagement surveys. Um, they may be having roundtable discussions. They may be looking at the productivity of the organization, like just in general, what is the data telling them? And if they want to do something about it, then yes, learning and development is usually front and center in helping to make that work. Um, and making people feel like they belong. And that there's a lot of ways to do that. You can create sense of community. You can build the culture, make sure there's trust, like you were mentioning, Karen. Um, communication, so maybe doing some communication style activities. Um, lots of different things that you could do to foster it. Just really depends on which direction the leadership team wants to go, I think. Yeah, I, I quite agree. I think one of the most operationally for me, the most easy way to see if people belong is turnover. If, if turnover is very high, especially in any department, something's going on. And then you can, in one-on-ones in with leadership, start to observe for cutthroat behaviors. And you can see them quite quickly. You can see them through gossip, through lack of commitment, through lack of accountability, shirking blame, behaviors like that. When they start to come across, you know that there might be something a little bit more big happening in the organization, for lack of a better word. And is it our job to help them feel they belong? Well, it's definitely my job. <laughs> yeah, it depends, you know, how an organization is structured. You could look at one department. You could look at one organization to say, yeah, what's the attrition rate there? Yeah. You can, the data is so good now, you can even pinpoint it down to, a single uh, line management, right? A single executive with the management team and start to address it individually at that point. But I wanted to say something that I hope resonates with you, Laura. I think ultimately it's not our job really to make them belong or help them to see where they belong in their organization. That's a, that's a great scenario. That's a great outcome. But ultimately it's that you belong to yourself, that you really understand who you are and why you do what you do and what you truly love and that you find the wherewithal to see that through, whether it's in that organization or it's in another career pivot iteration. Those are completely valid outcomes. So we're, so you're saying, and I, I think I agree with you and I understand you, that it's up to us as individuals to make sure that we feel we belong to ourselves we fit in, we understand for ourselves and self-awareness, and then, and then we can bring our full selves to work. I love that uh, you said that, but also because it brings up women. 
the great resignation of 2020 and 2021 brought women's leadership and uh, participation in the workforce back to 80s uh, numbers as, as according to the New York Times. And it was really an ultimate, I think, saying of I belong to myself and I'm going to make a decision about how my life will work for me. And there was no arguing with that. That was a real stake in the ground. And that's my, my point is exactly that. It's, it's completely okay to understand that the terms are now going to work for us as well as work for them. There's a phrase that Andrew shared from a senior manager that he heard once, if we can't change the people, we'll change the people. I, uh, it sounds a little cutthroat to me. I'm, I'm wondering if that was the intent. My, my personal uh, take on that is let the people be who they are and they will belong more and they will show up in full because all of us today at work want to be seen as a full human being, as a whole human being. And we're going to look for the dynamics in which we feel that. And as a coach, the responsibility is to that, not to any organizational agenda as a bottom line. Right. And then Andrew's asking us another question. Why do women feel they belonged less in the great resignation, like throughout the pandemic? I don't know about you, but the experience I've heard and even for myself was over, you know, everybody was forced to work from home, overwhelming responsibilities in the home fell on the women. And so they had, they just couldn't do it all, right? They had to take, make choices. Absolutely. I mean, I resigned years ago <laughs> from corporate America as, as did you to branch out on my own. And there's this understanding for me that the only real security I'll ever give myself and the only ability to really live on my own terms that actually work for me will be through me. And I think that many women reach that conclusion as well. And I don't, uh, according to what's transpired since then, if I understand the research again that I've read in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, so you may dispute it, or in Harvard Business Review, there has been a reintegration into work culture, but with much better conditions for women and much greater acknowledgement of the responsibilities that women shoulder in the home. In addition, there's a movement that I'm seeing through the work of Eve Rodsky and her followers of starting to divide labor a little bit more fairly within the home. This is wonderful. This is a real statement of empowerment. And this is a real taking of this. This is what I deserve. And this is the support I deserve. And that's been trickling down into LND teams across the board. You're so right. I agree with you 100% and on all the points. So yes, we went through a really hard time during the pandemic, but we came out in an environment that it's still evolving, that is allowing us to bring our full selves to work, that is allowing us to take care of our families. And what a great way, what a great time to be in the workforce. So just, this is why I exist. This is why my company exists, to help women in these transitions to come back in and there's no reason, I left corporate America too, but there's no reason you have to. No. Nobody's saying you have to because the environment is better now and it's getting better. Um, and we can stand up and ask for what we want, right? And that also is yeah. part of like knowing who you are, what you want out of life, what you want out of your work and standing up and asking for it at work. Absolutely. And you're getting so much more support today because I think that the what's also happened or transpired in the last two years has been an organizational understanding that people deserve the support, need the support, and that this support really helps to cultivate 
not only a great culture, but a much more stable culture. And so the, for example, at Nike or at Estee Lauder, which are companies that I work with, I've seen real transparency around work from home schedules, flex work, which they've all arrived at, how they ended up reintegrating in uh, the company, how work hours work today, how meetings work today. This is so much more favorable. I was going to say humane, but it really is much more favorable. I mean, just think about the moment today where my dog started barking. I mean, we have real lives and real lives are messy and complicated and not simple and filled with interruptions. And I think we've gone into a, a corporate universe that's just nicer about it. I agree. And and it's like I said, it's still evolving. Yes. And this whole, you know, idea of creating a culture or sense of belonging in the workplace, it's still evolving, but you can be a part of it. Like learning and development can be a part of it. We could take more of a role in it. We could foster more communities. We could create more of those safe environments for people to come together. We can train people on belonging. We can help people find their purpose. There's so many ways to bring this about and to be a part of it. It's actually very exciting to be in learning and development right now. Oh my gosh. It's the, I think it's the best job in any corporation. I'm going to share this with all of my LND superstars and say, I've said this to them personally. First, because I read uh, through a Gallup poll that something like 80% of millennial workers are looking for learning on the job. And second, because I can see what happens through the seminars and the workshops, how people just light up when they get exposure to this work. You just touched on, I think, the biggest hot button. Many people really want to know what their purpose is. They really, really want to know. They want to know that they're living on their purpose, that they're not missing something, that they're maximizing it every day, that they're able to wake up eager for the day through the work that they do. Are there any actionable tools that you can share? I have some just that I've created myself that I use in the in workshops, but there are so some on, I think Visio has one tool that you can use for an organization to work on um, creating their purpose together. I like to have the employee and the management team, like the whole team together, creating a purpose together and then sharing it. I think there's huge value in that for everybody to come across. Even if the manager does their purpose statement with the group three or four times, they evolve it, they cultivate it, they they work on it. It then brings so much energy to the team, yeah. right? It gets them all aligned. It gets them all engaged. Um, so I know I only, I use a personal one that I created for, for my business. Um, it's quick, it's short, and it works really well to help people start to or at least articulate yeah. their purpose statement. But I know like Simon Sinek has some really good stuff out there as well. Yeah. And his book, Start With Why, he's filled with um, pearls of wisdom. But yes, I, yes. I also start, I kind of kickstart them with an example of a purpose statement or a UVP, a unique value proposition and or a mission statement so that they have some guidelines and then throw them to the lions. But I really like to suggest um, running just an individual exercise. I ask every person individually to answer two questions. What am I obsessed with? In other words, what would I do if nobody paid me? And number two, who am I doing this for? Who is it for? And those are two very, very simple questions that get you pretty clear on what you love. And when you can share that in a group, you see very, very radical differences between people's purpose statements, but you can always weave those streams back 
into the river and show them how important all hands are on the boat. I see that Andrew is asking, what advice would you give to women who feel they don't belong? Asking those two questions that you just shared and the ones I have in my activity are similar, but, you know, maybe starting there and understanding why, like there's usually, there's usually, it's about the why, like why, why don't they feel like they belong as a coach, right? That's, those are the questions I would kind of try to get down to, but then also like, why are they here? What is it that they want to be doing? Absolutely. I would ask just one more question, which is what, what do you not want? What do you know you don't want? Many people, when they're not clear on what they do want or the feeling of belonging, they definitely know what they don't want. And they can sort of pinpoint around that. I know it's a what question rather than a why question, but it leads into a why question. Why, why don't you like that? So for example, what don't you like? I don't like incessant meetings. Why? What is it about them? You can really move into that zone and that helps people truly clarify where they've moved into that doesn't suit them. I always share the story of my former self. I like to say that young Karen was a liar. I used to basically get any job that I thought was prestigious enough and the right track by saying things like, I love P&Ls and my only flaw is that I'm a perfectionist. I don't have a perfectionist bone in my body. I'm not particularly methodical or details oriented. And the, honestly, if my accountant didn't help me read the PNL, I would be at a loss constantly. So the reason I didn't belong was because I was being inauthentic with myself about what I really cared about. And the only way I got there was by identifying the very things that I did routinely that were just grating on me. So that might be helpful as well. Right. That's that getting to know yourself too. I think authenticity, <clears throat> getting to the, the, the root of who you are, um, and, and all the flaws, right? None of us are perfect. You have a good hair day. You have a bad hair day. It doesn't matter, right? You just, you're going to show up, um, just being yourself. And I noticed that that is always when a person is most effective, most engaging, in front of a room, in front of an audience, when you're being yourself, right? Or when you're doing your best at work, it's when you're authentic in who you are and what you are. Dog barking in the background. Again, like it's it's all okay. Like just just embrace yourself. Accept, accept who you are and what you bring to your employer, to the table, to your clients, whoever, right? Well, I you're you're Words are very moving, but they also bring us full circle to where we started, which is that ultimately belonging is about a why and a why is about loving yourself, accepting yourself and knowing who you really are and letting yourself be who you really are. So that's really kind of the gist of it. And that's what the coaching work is about. It's about belonging to yourself so that you can shine for others so that you can ultimately serve the team. I, I love the oxygen mask analogy. I know it's very trite and overused, but really you can't help any of the children on the plane until you put it on for yourself. I love that. I was on a plane last night and I heard the stewardess say that. And I'm like, I think of the same thing. Every time. You have to do it. Yep. Every time. Take the oxygen yourself first. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there's so much where there's so there's so much here, but yeah, just everybody just be true to yourself from from the first line employee all the way up to the CEO, like just be true to yourself and it'll it'll show up. The belonging will be there. It's true. You know, maybe that's the most radical shift since the the great resignation. It's before the command and control style was be exactly the opposite of yourself to fit in. And today, really be yourself to serve the tribe. And I, I'd like to give a big old Texas amen to that. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Karen. Great discussion. So nice speaking with you. There's so much to talk about in that topic. Absolutely. There's so much depth in this episode with some outstanding insights from Laura and Karen, yet it still feels like they only managed to scratch the surface of the topic. It was a compelling listen. A massive thank you to both Laura and Karen for giving up their time and sharing their wisdom. You can find links to all the references that they mentioned in the show notes, along with their profiles and contact details. We're planning for a few special episodes in the next few months, including the menopause one and the disability one. If you're interested in being a guest on those or any other episodes, then please do get in touch. All our contact details are in the show notes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Women Talking About Learning and next time it's the training and external audience one. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon.